0: About funny stuff. Serious. About food. Serious. About anything that I'm in the mood for. Serious. Let's get serious. Talk to me, talk to me, tell me about your fantasy. Talk to me, talk to me, tell me about your fantasy. Talk to me, talk to me, tell me about your fantasy. Let's get serious. Hello. You're listening. Let's get serious. I'm Kendall Bruns, and my guest today is Chris Agos. 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 I just asked you. This you is like. You just
1: asked me that, but that's okay.
0: It's like a running theme of, of mistakes that I, I always have trouble with the pronouncing of names. And I like, even if I like try to do some preparation.
1: You know what? You, you, I'm going to let you off easy on this one because my entire life, nobody has ever pronounced it right. But even
0: in my mind right now, I can't remember which one it is. <laughs>
1: ah, just think,
0: ah. It's August. August. Yeah. August. Yeah. Chris August, mm-hmm. thank it. you for joining me. Thank you for asking. Conversation. Uh, you wrote a book. Yep. The book is called Acting in Chicago. hmm Making a living doing commercials, voiceovers, TV slash film. And, and more and more oh yeah i want to tell you i'm a busy guy i have read two books this year cover to cover mhm and this this is one of them wow That's, i like and i like yours better than the other one really yeah thank you so hey. i'm
1: i'm happy that you decided to spend some time on it and um you know i put a lot of time into it so it's kind of cool when somebody says that they you know that they enjoyed it so so, there's a lot of stuff we could talk about, yeah.
0: We could talk about your acting career because you're an actor. Mm-hmm. We could talk about why anyone decides to write a book because <laughs> that seems difficult. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we could even talk about the content of the book, which uh-huh. is like a whole other whole other thing. yeah, I think we'll probably kind of do all that a little okay. bit. We could do that, but um.
1: But there's no guarantees. Well, I am at your command. So whatever you want to talk about, I'm here. Why don't we start by,
0: um, giving, if you could give like just a brief description of what the book is.
1: Uh, sure. The book, I mean, other than acting in Chicago, it's, it's for- all about <laughs> acting in Chicago. Um, the book is, uh, a, a distillation of 15 years worth of work. um, when I started acting, I didn't know anyone in the business. I didn't know anything about the business. I just started. And I think um, that was probably a good thing because that allowed me to learn everything by experience. So, um, w- I jumped forward you know, 15 years, and I've been doing this a long time now, and it, I teach a little bit here and there, and it occurred to me that all of my students were always asking the same questions. Um, and I thought, Oh well, gosh, you know, instead of answering these questions one to one over and over and over again, it kind of would make sense if there was a document that I could give people that would explain everything. Um, and I looked around, and there really wasn't one specific to Chicago. So, so the book is a um, uh, a representation of of a roadmap of literally everything that you could possibly need to. Forge a career as an actor that actually makes money in Chicago. You can do a lot of acting in Chicago for free, um, and you can do a lot of acting that um, pays a little bit, but not uh, enough to really, you know, pay the mortgage. Um, My goal with the book was to put together all the information that anyone would need to be able to actually begin or cultivate uh, a, a career that could. Turn into a full time thing for them, um, so. So it's it's almost as
0: if you didn't want to write a book, the people demanded it. <laughs> you were the <like, laughs>
1: yeah, I mean you could you could say that. It's, let's put it this way: I have three big, huge life goals, like things to do before you die. I had three of them. One of them was to write a book, and I always thought it would be a novel. Uh, turns out it's this one, mm. and that's and I'm fine with that. Uh, because I think this is more useful than a novel, frankly. Um, so yeah, I mean, when you've got everyone from, you know, uh, the 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 person that lives next door to your aunt, <laughs> asking you, you know, to um, people at church, to uh, students that you teach, asking you, you know, how do you get an agent? How how? you did that commercial. I saw you on TV. How how did you get that? How do you get into this? The big question is always, how do you get into the business? And um, I had conversation after conversation with people I know well, people I don't know at all, people um, who I I, I sort of know, and they all just wanted to know the same things. And I'm like, well, geez, now uh, that just means that there's a need for this information to be out there. Um, Well, and it's one of those things that There isn't an easy answer
0: to any of those questions. There is no easy answer. And because there are so many steps involved Mm -hmm. and most people don't go down that path at all, like they don't even know where to begin to even think
1: about. And there's really nowhere to go. There's nobody, unless you know somebody in the business, there's, there's no one to go to and say, you know, Hey, I would really like to pursue this, um, you know, not even if if you're looking to make a living at it, you just want to, you know, you want to get your five year old into a play school commercial. How do I go about doing that? There's nowhere where you can go and ask that question. You can call an agent on the phone, but chances are they're not going to be incredibly friendly to you or take a whole ton of time because they have a job to do. And it's not to talk to somebody who they're not representing. You know, it's their job is to get work for people they represent. So, um, you know, it, it it made a lot of sense to me to put together something that was, uh, dependable and reliable, um, and contained information that pretty much anybody could put to good use. So when you were doing that research before you started writing the book,
0: did you find similar books, uh, about the industry in general or for Mm -hmm. other
1: cities? Yeah, there's plenty of information about working in New York or LA. um, written by actors, written by agents, written by, uh, producers. Um, but when it came to Chicago, there, there was a book apparently that, uh, was written a while back, like a decade ago. Uh, and it was, uh, it was very focused on the, on theater, which of course Chicago is a huge theater town and, um, and that's great. But, most actors working in a lot of theater in Chicago uh, have found that it's not a tremendously uh, lucrative endeavor. You know, a lot of a lot of uh, theaters being done by non-equity companies in storefront spaces, and they just don't really pay. Um, so that book did what it did a decade or more ago and that's terrific but well and their right information now, about internet residuals isn't very good in that decade. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no uh, they don't talk about the streaming window um right. at that point. So so you know, um I don't know, I just thought it was time uh, and it seemed like there wasn't really anything for uh for Chicago. Uh, I thought Chicago needed a book of its own.
0: One of the reasons I thought it would make sense to or one of the interests I had in interviewing you or like talking about this book is that I feel like, and we talked about this a little bit off mic, which I usually try to avoid having off mic conversations right with the guests right before. But we were talking a little bit about um, like why I'm doing this podcast or like the different kinds of people that I've had on here. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of time, a lot of the people that I've interviewed that are in acting in particular are the kind of people that might be either right on the cusp of or right past the cusp of deciding that acting is something that they want to do as a career mm-hmm. or they're like trying to figure that. You know what I mean? And yeah. I feel like a lot of the people that maybe I have on as guests or that listen like this would be a really interesting uh topic for them.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and the thing about about that is that acting careers my mine included develops so slowly. I mean, you hear about those stories where uh, somebody you know does a couple of days on a, a TV series, and suddenly they're like you know the next big thing. But the reality for most of us is that it's a very slowly evolving thing, and so you can be in that sort of um, limbo position where you've like decided that you really like acting and you want to make it your full time endeavor, but you haven't quite, for whatever reason you know, got to the point where it's, it's really providing for you, you know, so that could last years for someone. Um, and it's also very frustrating when, when that happens.
0: Well, and I think, you know, in addition to that, I mean, okay, so I'm not an actor Mm -hmm. and I'm not trying to be an actor, but, um, I think a lot of the material applies to any kind of like, um, creative endeavor, Sure. You know? And I think a lot of times it's not like you reach a certain point and then like it's smooth sailing. Oh,
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like I wish it was like, like
0: that. When somebody says to you, Oh, how do you get on a commercial or how do you get an agent? And this is stuff you talk about in the book too, about mm-hmm. like getting an agent and then like thinking that everything's gonna be great, like no matter what level you're performing at, there's always like there's no guarantees and there's, there's, and it's like always, uh,
1: like a challenge to keep moving forward and to grow. And it's always a hustle. I mean, you are always, you always have to put some energy into getting work. I mean, even at the highest levels, uh, a really quick story that I just learned, um, uh, a a friend of mine, there's a, there's a big TV pilot that's shooting in town right now. And I'm not sure if this is true, but rumor has it that one of the male, leads that was cast um, was let go after the table reading now if you 're not familiar with that the, the process is you go through an audition it can sometimes be multiple auditions and then there's a uh, a, a very big audition with uh, the producers in the network, and the network has to sign off on you so if it 's NBC. There's a bunch of NBC suits sitting around in a big room and you go do your thing in front of them and then they say yay or nay, right? And then once you get cast, your deal is all worked out. You know how much money you're going to make for the next like seven years. And uh, everything's really great. You're really happy and you go to the table reading. That's when everybody sits around a big table and they read the episode out loud. Well, after that table reading, the decision was made that that guy wasn't right for that part. And I don't know why that is, but that just... Uh, my friend relaying the story just uh, he he just summed it up by saying you know what everything's an audition it's still an audition even at that level you got you know big guy on an NBC pilot you know gonna make a boatload of money and be a big star maybe but he he didn't measure up at the table read maybe he had a bad day maybe he just didn't you know put a whole lot into it because it was just the table reading or whatever and somebody said you know what we can do better Um, so it's I feel like that all the time in my career I mean I've been doing this a long time but there is for me no slowing down I'm I'm always wondering what's around the next corner for me and I think a lot of freelancers are in that in that position you know yeah so so when
0: um, a couple days ago I solicited for some questions for you and on like on Facebook and stuff, and I said, "Hey, I'm interviewing this guy who wrote this book," and so I got a couple, just a few, okay. and I th- I'm gonna uh, read them to you because I think it'll be a good entry point to talk about the content of the book. Sure. So uh, the first the first one is from Paul Kreft and I got this via Facebook. He's he lives in Cincinnati, Ohio, and. His question for you is, are you insane? (laughs) (laughs) This, I, and I think that's like a common kind of response you probably get for this sort of thing. Like you want to be an actor and make a living doing it in Chicago. Uh huh. Like
1: there's not, you're not supposed to be able to do that.
0: Right. Right. So how do you, what's your short response
1: to that sort of, um, kind of reaction? Ignorance is bliss. And when I started doing this, I didn't know that you weren't supposed to be able to do this in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, am I insane? Mm, I think, I think anybody who wants to be an actor and then really actually pursues it has to be just, you know, this side of crazy, just a little bit. Um, because it is, uh, you're, you're, it is a huge gamble, you know? I mean, you could have all the desire in the world, uh, but if you don't have the tools to be able to put it together, um, you're going to eat rum in the rest of your life, you know, and who wants to really do that? It's too salty. Um, so I don't really think of myself as, as insane, but I do uh, really appreciate the fact that I started young and didn't know any better. Didn't know that you weren't, that I shouldn't be able to do this, you know, because had I known what it was going to be like, I probably wouldn't have pursued it so much you know
0: when you i mean when you started your career you didn't have this book to read (laughs) no um how early did you decide that it was something
1: that you were going to do as a career um i i was hooked on the voiceover business within a couple of weeks of of taking lessons i mean i i found a guy who teaches private lessons and i i took like 3 weeks with him and was like you know what i'm going to do this i don't know how and i know i suck right now but i'm still going to do this and um so it was at that point it was very early it was like right away you know i said i'm going to put every all the other plans that i had i'm going to put those aside because i'm i'm young and uh if i don't make any money it doesn't really matter cuz i don't really have any bills i don't you know need To make any money right now, if I fall flat on my face, who cares? So um, I just started, you know, and Mm -hmm. and the voiceover thing led to the on-camera thing, which had led to some other stuff. And I don't know, I just kept, I made a deal with myself that if, you know, when it became obvious that I was not going to be able to make an adult living, what I called an adult living, I didn't have a number, I just knew that adults made more than college kids. I would quit and I would go back to plan a, which was what I put aside to, to do this. And so I just never had to, I never had to quit. But at that point when, when
0: you started doing it, Mm -hmm. did you think it was possible to make a living
1: doing it? Like you were like, Oh, this is something people can do. Oh yeah. In fact, I mean, I think I was pretty sure that I was going to be making six figures inside of a year, you know? I mean, I was like, yeah, because uh, one of the things that I talked with, my first teacher about was how much do these voiceover guys make? That was a real concern for me because it's, that's like a practical thing. You know, I got to know if I'm going to put my time and effort into it, if there's going to be a payoff. And, um, he was very upfront with me. He was, uh, a an older guy, did a lot of radio, a lot of TV VO. Uh, and he's like, you know, um, a lot of people think that when you get into voiceover, uh, they're going to back up dump trucks of you know $50 bills and drop them off at your back door. It's not quite like that, but it can be pretty good if you get in with the right crowd. And I was like, you know what? That's good enough for me. If all I have to do is get in with a crowd, uh, I just have to figure out who they are, show them that I can do the work, and then we're good to go. Perfect. Mm-hmm. So I just went and tried to find those people and... I never really found them. (laughs) (laughs) The crowd, the crowd. Yeah. The crowd. I mean, you know, whoever they are they're they're not around.
0: Well, actually talking about the voiceover leads me into this next question that I have from somebody. This Mm -hmm. is from, um, Jody Franks via Twitter. And she wants to know with voiceovers, what sets you apart from your competition? Now I realize this is an extremely like vague question, In a way, and you do talk about this a lot in your book, but again, I think it's a good example of like, um, like somebody like coming, like, what kind of response would they find in your book to this sort of question?
1: In your words, because you'd probably be able to say better than me, yeah. (laughs) Um, so what differentiates me from my think the they, guys I read, read against. I think
0: they mean in the more of a general sense, what sets you
1: apart from your competition, not you specifically, not me, but, but okay. How can you differentiate yourself? How can one differentiate themselves? Right, yeah. Um, wow. You know, be really, really good. And by really good, I mean, um, listen very carefully to what winds up getting aired these days. um, if you're interested in VO, you absolutely have to listen to radio, and you absolutely have to watch network television and also, you know, cable cable TV uh, with a different eye and a different ear than you would as just a casual observer. Um, there are trends that take place. Uh, years ago, the trend was you know the big kind of announcer guy. Uh, that's gone. I, there's There are no announcers anymore. Everybody wants to now feel like um, the quote-unquote announcer on the spot is, you know, the guy next door talking to you over the picket fence. Um, so the way you differentiate yourself, the way you make yourself competitive, maybe those are two different points. But um, first of all, absolutely be you, okay? Don't try... To be anyone else, um, whether it's a celeb voice style uh, or a uh, you know the you heard the Nutra girl and you really think she's great and you want to do you know vo like she does, that's probably not going to really cut it for you. Everyone kind of has their own thing, and you just have to kind of figure out what yours is. Um, some people are blessed with a very unique, just natural. Sounding voice, and if that's you, work it, because uh, most of us sound fairly similar when you kind of think about it. Um, if if you're in that kind of you know you don't have that tremendous gift of a of a really super charactery uh, unique vocal quality, then it's all about the reads and the attitude, and you have to become good by listening by training. Um, And uh, by practicing with people who are much better than you are, much more experienced than you are. Um, And I think finally, you got to be able to take direction. (laughs) Um, If you put all of those little pieces together into a package, um, that's the beginnings of you differentiating yourself uh, from other people really what this comes down to in the voiceover business is if you sound like you go on an audition and you read the thing and you sound like what they picture in their head when they read the thing, they meaning the producers who are hiring you, the uh, uh, decision makers then you're going to get the job or you're at least that much closer to getting the job Um, but you have to be incredibly competent at the same time, you can't just kind of Mm. um sound good just for that one thing you have to be able to adjust your timing and adjust your uh, attitude and all that stuff on command so
0: i would imagine there's probably times when there are clients who also just don't know what they're looking for until they hear it all the time and they and they just kind of know when they hear you they're like that's the thing i was i mm-hmm. was going
1: for and you know sometimes uh you can tell, like they'll almost never say we really don't know what we want Sure, Um but you can tell with the direction you get Um I think recently there was you know uh, I can't remember what it was for but it was just a couple weeks ago there was an audition for something and it was, you know, we want like quiet and whispery or maybe a really crazy bombastic, you know <laughs> kind of delivery and So it's like anything in between, you know, Right, and really it does kind of come down to, um, is whatever you're doing, does that match kind of what they're looking for? And if that's the case, if you've got a match, then you've got the job. So it can be really frustrating because there's no way of predicting really what, what it is that they're looking for.
0: One of the things that you touch on that I thought was interesting is that you say no matter what, your like particular look is for acting or maybe what your voice is, there may be a niche for you Yeah, that like, you know, there might be so many things I don't have the right look to be an actor, but you know, you'll get
1: typecast in a certain way that there is a need for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, um, especially in the world of, of on camera commercials, you know, doing a, a, a commercial for whatever, uh, there 's work for everybody I mean there's such a need for every physical type every kind of um, you know we, we uh, casting directors and and producers kind of tend to break people down into types you know there's like the young mom and then there's you know younger than the young mom is the college kid and then uh, you know you get into um, once you kind of reach your thirties 30 mid thirties then you're just mom right until you're like there's the corporate mom Uh, there's the like disheveled frustrated mom and then in terms of husbands you know there's everything from like the smart uh, really got it together guy to the you know the guy who just is absolutely clueless Um, and physically you know it doesn't it used to be that you had to be pretty to be on camera and that's just not the case anymore um and it hasn't been for a long time. You know, there are people that have that aren't classically pretty, but they have these really unique looks about them um that make them marketable, you know, whether it's like uh if you're the geeky guy who is absolutely like the personification of a true geek, you're going to get a ton of work because there's a need for geeky guys. And there's probably not too many of them who are really comfortable being the geeky guy, you know? So you got to like, accept whoever it is that you are. Do you think that's something that
0: people need to figure out and project? Or is that something that you end up figuring out from the feedback that you get?
1: Um, I think it's different for, for everyone. I think most of us fall into, uh, your sort of average categories, you know, young mom, young dad, um, young uh, or, you know, middle manager, um, you know, uh, truck, trucker kind of guy, blue collar guy. Um, But then, you know, there is a small segment of the population that uh, will never be anything other than something incredibly specific just because of the way they, you know the way God made them, just the way they came out, and um, those are the the geeks. The the uh, you know if you're incredibly tall and lanky, there's going to be call a uh, call for for you at some point because they're going to need some kind of physical joke. You know, uh, they're going to need uh, a really short guy and a really tall guy, you know, or whatever. Um, so I think some people wind up finding whatever it is their niche is just because of the nature of who they are and then other people I think if if you don't have an agent being like oh my gosh you're our um, agriculture guy because you just scream farmer you know um, if you don't have that then you're just going to kind of settle into whatever it is is comfortable for you which for most of us is like whatever is comfortable for our age range so okay I got another question okay
0: this one is from Lee Russell from here in Chicago, Illinois. His question, in his opinion, he's talking about you, is it difficult getting representation? How did he research the agencies? Which were the best? Again, a very, like, loaded question.
1: <laughs> yeah, kind of. Um, is it difficult getting representation? It depends on where you at. Where where you at? Where are you at? Where you at, man? You want representation? Where you at? <laughs> you got to represent um, where you're at in your whole career in your process, right? I mean, if you're brand brand new and you really don't have much of a resume, then yeah, it can actually be tough to to have an agency um take notice of you. Um, it took me six months of knocking on doors to get my first agent. And um, then it took me another six months to get a job. So, I mean, it was like a year where I didn't do anything but, like, get rejected. So if you're a little further along, you know, I'm not going to say that it gets easier to, to get representation. Um, but it helps, if, you know, once you've got some really good solid credits on your resume. You can kind of show them that you are marketable and that you work. Um, so theoretically, the more you do this stuff, the, the easier it, it should be. That's not always the case because there are, you know, the grass is always greener. You're always with, um, for some people they are, they're with an agent or two or three because in Chicago you can do that. And you, you feel like if you were with agent, you know, A, B, and C over here that you would have... More opportunity, more work, you would do better. Um, and you know, there's this perception that you got to be with the right agent, which I think is partially true. Right, being the right agent for you, um, you really need an advocate in your corner. But I'm kind of straying off the point. How do you research agencies? How did I do it? I, when I was starting out, I didn't research any of them. I submitted to all of them. And whoever called me first, uh, I was very happy to go with them. Um, After a while, I started, uh, uh, the more I'd worked and kept in touch with actors that I met, uh, I just started asking around and being like, hey, you know, who do you know that's like really strong um, in industrials or in voiceover or whatever? And, and, you know, if you take enough classes and and you talk to enough people who are sort of you know who've been doing this a while, you start to develop a picture of the Chicago market and the agencies that are available here um and where all of them sort of fit for the type of work that you want to do um, so you know outside of uh, you know you could always you could like hire somebody you know hire a private coach and then ask them you know what they think. Um, I think just asking around is the uh, probably the best, the best way to research the quality of agents.
0: And then his final part of that question was which were the best, which I'm sure is going to vary wildly yeah. depending on what you're trying to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you have any other kind of answer for that? Um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I'll say you talk about this a lot in the book. You talk about, like... Um, you demystify a lot of these things. I thought mm-hmm. in a really effective way. Thank you. So, um, for the full
1: answer, <laughs> for the full answer by the book, yeah. I, I think um, which are the best. Uh, it really, it really does depend on what you want. If you want a very nice, uh, small group of actors, a, a boutique agency that doesn't handle a lot of people, the kind where you're going to be where you're more likely to have a relationship with. The person who actually owns the place, then you want to look at the smaller, um, but still very reputable, agencies like a Big Mouth Talent or a, a Gray Talent Group. Um, they don't have the the volume of actors that say uh, a Stuart Talent or a Grossman Jack is going to have. Um, and what does that mean? that could be good and bad. That could mean that you get lots and lots of personal attention at those boutique a- agencies. Um, uh You know, whereas if you're sort of like in with the larger agencies and you're still kind of new and kind of fresh and you don't um, necessarily have a, a really strong advocate there in the office, you know, but you're there you know, maybe you get a little less attention. I I don't know. It just, everyone's path is so different, um, that it's really hard to say, you know, like, well, everyone really should just be with this one agent. And if you're with this one agent, then you're, you're golden, you know?
0: Um, you know, and then I guess that also gets into the union issue Mm -hmm. as well, which you talk a lot in the book about. Yeah. It's, um, it takes up a lot of pages. (laughs) And so different agents work... Right. um, ...are going to work differently depending on, like, if you're uh, in a different union or not.
1: Yeah, um, there are a couple agents in town that don't do any union work at all. So if you have union aspirations and you're with those agents, they're not going to help you out. And they know that, and they're upfront about that, and that's cool. Um, There are some uh, talent agencies that work both union and non-union jobs, so... um, that can be a plus as well for a non-union talent who has aspirations to be union uh at some point um you know that that agent can sort of point them in that direction um and then there are some uh agents uh i think that that really prefer to just focus on the union stuff um and really don't hardly do any non-union work at all um and you go into a lot of detail about
0: you know, what it means to be in the union or not, the union, the pros and cons right. of being in a union or not, mm-hmm. the timing of when to join a union or not. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah.
1: You talk about a lot of that. It's you know? a really, really big decision <laughs> for people in Chicago. And uh, so, yeah. And it's actually the thing that I get asked about the most. Right. and I, But I, I want to back up a little bit
0: because I thought I'd bring up those questions just because they... Hey, help illustrate like how hard it is to answer these questions to some degree. One of the things I thought was interesting is that your book at the beginning um I thought it was structured nicely as far as like you kind of setting the stage at the beginning and then like slowly getting into these things. So that by the time you get to the end of the book and I'm reading about like um having a hold for like doing a certain kind of commercial and like how that gets paid and percentages and stuff. And I'm like reading about this and I'm like, I'm not ever going to do this, but I find this interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but you made it like accessible by how you got there. And towards the beginning of the book, you say a few things about Chicago that I want to bring up. Mm -hmm. You say that, um, Chicago is the third biggest market in the country Mm -hmm. and that, with over 150 theater companies, mm-hmm. just as like to show like how much is acting is going on here. Yeah. Um, you say that Chicago is a great city to train in and work, but it won't get you fame. Right. Which I thought was an interesting thing just to like, um, acknowledge and talk mm-hmm. about. And even like more relevant to what we were just talking about that, the full-time actors here usually work in multiple disciplines, right? That if you do want to make your living as an actor, the reality of doing that like doing just theater or like in a sketch group or something, like it's just mm-hmm. not probably going to happen at yeah. least not in Chicago. Um and you're not going to become like a famous person acting not if you stay here. In Chicago, just in sh- like you stay right. here. Right. But there are these other things you can do, mm-hmm. and then you sort of list them, and I don't matter if it's like six or seven or seven, seven okay I, yeah. so can you um, can we touch on each of those real quick? I mean they're kind of like sure what's on the cover of the book in a way, yeah like, <laughs> most
1: of them are right, right there, yeah,
0: <laughs> but because um, I think you know there's probably a lot of people who come to Chicago and they're doing theater or they're doing sketch or improv or whatever, and they're like, "I really love doing this." I wish this is what I could do all the time. Right. But they maybe don't even know what an industrial is. Right. Or, and there's also like, there are people who want to be actors and want to act, but maybe would hate doing industrials and voiceover and all these other things that are part of how you can make a living doing it. So could you talk a little bit about
1: those, those seven things, seven things? Yeah. Um, uh, the first one uh, probably the biggest money maker for actors um, are commercials obviously and these are the, the 30 and 60 second spots that you see on TV um, they also show up online and um, you know if you can uh, talk about uh, uh, toilet paper with a grin on your face and you know not uh, um, uh, and and do justice to the toilet paper copy then you are golden you know um, we sell a lot more stuff than than just toilet paper but um that 's at some point you're gonna sell at, some, paper. at some point man you 're gonna you 're gonna sell the toilet paper or the paper towel or or whatever you got to be open for anything um so there 's commercials there 's industrials industrials are uh made are, are video productions that are not made for public consumption but rather made for the consumption of uh corporations. So, uh, whether that's internal use in terms of, uh, training or, uh, orientating employees about a new policy, um, these pieces either usually train or inform employees about something, um, or for public use, it's a video that a, a company will put together showcasing a new product, a new service, whatever, whatever, and then they'll put it on a DVD or put it up on a website, and um, uh, and show it to the general public. So those are industrials. Those those are not going to wind up on TV or anything. Um, uh, let's see. Commercials, industrials. Uh, I should know these by heart. Well, there's probably a list. Uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a list in there somewhere. Um, commercials, industrials, uh, TV film. There's uh, a handful of uh, television shows that uh, show up in Chicago. They either come to Chicago to shoot or they are in Chicago, one of them obviously being the Chicago Code. Uh, on Fox uh, that is wrapping up their, well, they're in the middle of their first season and we're just kind of waiting to hear if, if they're going to um, uh, order a second season. Um, thank you. You are providing <laughs> me with uh, my cheat sheet. chapter three. Chapter three, yeah, it's right at It's page, what the heck page is it here? It's page 15. Um, so commercials, industrials, TV film, uh, some films come through here. Uh, everything from your big budget uh, uh, Hollywood productions all the way down to really small budget independent films. Uh, voiceover we've already talked about a little bit. Those are TV and radio spots, but there's also a really healthy corporate voiceover market where um, you know these videos need to be narrated. Uh, print commercial print doing. Um, uh, a shoot for uh, a hardware store, and, and it shows up in one of their magazine ads, or um, for Sears, you know. Um, and you're in the Sunday paper, the as, as you're in the circulars. Um, that's also um, a pretty lucrative thing for 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 actors. Um, Uh, Trade shows, uh, trade show presentations. Uh, Most people can relate to this. If you've never been to a trade show, it's like the auto show where you've got all the models on display. And then uh, some of the models have special presentations where uh, guys and girls are standing next to the car and they're talking about all the attributes of the car. Well, that's that's an auto show. There are trade shows for all kinds of things, Um, microprocessors, uh, office products, um, you know, Uh, Grocery store equipment manufacturers, they all have their own trade show. And and many times um, they hire professional presenters to get their message out at the show. So that's another way uh, for actors to make money. And um, the last one would be uh, the ear prompter. And the ear prompter is is a really unique, uh, it's unique to Chicago. It's a little earpiece that we wear in our ear. Uh, gets connected to a recorder of some kind, either a little micro-cassette recorder or a digital recorder that we wear on our our body somewhere. And uh, we show up for a job, let's say it's an industrial, and we have the script already laid down on our little recorder. And when we shoot the job, we press play on the recorder and we're hearing the script in our own voice through our earpiece. And as we hear it, we spit it out so that it seems like it's coming off the top of our head um, sounds very difficult <laughs> and yeah so it's it's talking it's listening and talking at the same time um, and also acting all kind of at the same time because you have to be able to you know make it seem as though you're like really knowledgeable about about a product that you may absolutely have no knowledge about whatsoever you're just spitting out a script um, or you have to you know uh, seem eh, you know sometimes um, if you're doing an industrial and it's like a um, an insurance guy and a client, then the insurance you're playing the role of the insurance guy, you know you have to be really knowledgeable and trustworthy and also compassionate and sort of understanding of their needs and all that jazz while you're listening to your own voice in your head, spitting out a script. you talk about the ear a lot, and yeah, it was something that
0: I wasn't expecting I mean I'd never really heard of this before if you're
1: not acting around here you're not going to hear about it mm. it's, a, it's a cute little thing that they developed here in, in this market and you know um, I've actually gotten calls like from New York for people who they know that Chicago has really good ear prompter talent um, they don't really have them there because they, they don't do it there No,
0: some of that because of the training here
1: yeah. You know, in the, in the seventies and eighties, Chicago was the only, well, not the only, but it was like the big place in the nation for corporate video production. And, you know, back in those days, budgets were huge and scripts were huger. So, you know, instead of handing, uh, an actor, like a book that, you know, a hundred pages of scripts that you had to memorize, they did, they came up with a better way. And the old, the original ear prompters were these big, Beastly reel-to-reel machines that were portable, but they were the size of you know a small microwave oven. And you'd you'd sit at a desk, you'd do a scene at a desk, and you'd sit it next to you on the floor, and you'd have a um, like a newscaster's earpiece in your ear. And of course, the hairstyles back then, the guys were they had longer hair, yeah, so it, was it would easy cover to it hide, up. Yeah. yeah, easy to hide. Um, so that's how it all started. Uh, and then as technology kind of you know shrunk all everything, then. Now, of course, we just wear everything, um, and it's totally pretty much invisible.
0: So, is it kind of like when you're listening to a song, you can sing along and know the words, but then if you try to sing the song without the music, sometimes you realize I don't know the words at all. <laughs> you know, like is it kind of like is I never
1: there thought something? Of it like is that.
0: there something about like the recall of it? It's happening in your head, so so it's like reminding you as it's like you're
1: in sync with
0: it when you listen to it or it's you're a couple you're delayed so you're you're,
1: it's a couple of seconds ahead of you because if you were in sync with it then you would be memorized you would have the script memorized and you would just be it it would you would if you were following it exactly then you would know what to say Mm -hmm. instead the way we do it is we let a couple of words or a half a sentence go by and then we start talking because you have to hear what you have to say before you actually say it You need a a half a second to process Mm. the the, the words. Now, you mentioned recall, and I want to assure you there is no recall happening. So in other words— You're just
0: purely reacting to what you're hearing. Right.
1: The neural pathway that goes from ear to mouth is not the same one that passes through memory. So we're not memorizing anything as we go. We're Mm. just hearing it and repeating it. It's crazy.
0: It's hard. It's just hard to. You know, the whole time I was reading about it, I'm like, I just don't. I need to hear. It. Like so, just try okay. it. <laughs> so try.
1: So turn on uh, a news radio station. Okay, mm-hmm. like uh, WBBM. I think is 780 AM, and the news anchors will be giving you the stories. And if you can sit in your car or sit at your desk and repeat what they say, every word, word for word, with their inflection in their mm-hmm. voice. um
0: just, slightly behind, just
1: them. slightly behind them, then you can do the ear prompter. Um, that's actually harder because, first of all, it's not your voice. Second of all, it's not directly in your ear. I mean, these earpieces that we that we wear are basically modified hearing aids, so they're really inside your head. Um, if you're listening to this news anchor in your car, then the speaker is you know sure. a couple of feet away. Um, so if you can do that, chances are you're going to be able to pick up the ear prompter pretty quickly. Does it make
0: you feel crazy at all when you do no. it?
1: <laughs> I just so, how long did it take so you you get used, used to, it? to it. You know, I you took classes and that's I basically
0: did. how people I, I mean, that's the other yeah. thing I pick up from this is that like if you want to do voiceover or you wanna do this ear stuff, yeah. like Take you have to do the you training. have to be You can't trained. be like, yeah. oh, I want to do voiceover, and I think I have a pretty good voice for that. Yeah. Like, it's not it doesn't work that way, right? No,
1: no. In fact, you know, I, I I spent a good time teaching beginning voiceover students, and at the beginning of every class, the first question I ask of everyone is, how many are are you of he, are, How many of you are here? Because you were told at some point in your life that you have a really cool voice and you should be a voiceover guy or girl, and I I I mean, eighty percent of the people raise their hand. You know, they think that it's um, vocal quality that gets you the work, and it's just not. It used to be, uh, but vocal quality is just a... uh kind of the icing on the cake. Yeah, it can't now. help, but it's not yeah. the thing that's going to do it, right? Not. Right. So the ear prompter thing took me um I picked it up actually pretty quickly. Uh I took a 10-week class and I want to say by like week 3 I was pretty solid. But there were people in my class that struggled all the way to the end. And what we figured out is that it seems as though people with uh music training in their background um uh, have a, a developed ear. So they're used to listening for rhythm and pitch. And uh, and paying attention to nuance, uh, using their ears, and that training seems to help in in the ear prompter, um, in their ear prompter efforts later in life. Hmm. So it's just something we've kind of noticed.
0: That's interesting.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Why don't we listen to? um, I have your uh, sample of -hmm. your voiceover um, demo uh, demo reel. Sure. You got one of them up, right? So I got, I got. I mean, I have access to all of them, but I picked this one. Okay, for us to listen to. So, <laughs> this is about a minute long. Let's let's hear you in action. You got it, and then we're
1: live from Rockefeller Plaza in New York City. It's NBC's New Year's Eve with Carson Daly. A and D just got made. That's the guy, Adrian. The guy I'm going to hell for. A&E Wednesdays. Commercials off, music on. Five in a row now on the new 102.7 Blink FM. Tonight, we're bringing you the best comedies on television with the hand-picked all-time best episodes of Seinfeld.
0: What's your hips
1: Then, it's Bad Boys Week on Raymond. 94.9 ZHT. It's where hit music lives. Luann wants to join a sorority, but ends up joining a cult. Most states won't let you marry a plastic head. All new King of the Hill, next. Tonight at 9, Fox 26 News is dealing you into Texas Hold'em, where the games are in Austin, and a refresher on the rules. Plus, see where you can win a $10,000 entry fee to the World Series of Poker. Tonight, baby, on Fox 26 News at 9.
0: All right, so... um your voice does sound different in the different spots sometimes. Right. But I'm wondering how much of that is you changing the way your voice sounds versus like engineering. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, a couple of those that you heard were engineered, uh, uh, in terms of like adding a little bit of a phaser or a, a chorus or something. Um, and that's to kind of reflect, um, uh, whenever that happened, you know, the FM radio stations do that. Um, so that's to add a little bit of it's like compressed. Yeah, and- it's a little oomph, you know. Yeah. Um, it kind of fits. which is what I'm going to do with this. <laughs> of course, yeah. Everybody sounds better with compression. Right. Um, <clears throat> but uh, most of that was just energy level and attitude change, um, you know, and that's part of learning how to be a good voice talent is to be you know, is to be versatile. And not all voice talent are super versatile. Um, There are plenty that just kind of do one thing and they do it really well and they get a ton of work because of it. Um, But if you, you know, particularly in promo work where there's um, everything from, you know, if you do promo work for a a local news affiliate, you're going to have the stories that require kind of a a really hard-hitting, you know, um, tough guy kind of read. And then you're going to have the kind of heartwarming stories that uh, require much, you know, much softer, um, much more emotionally accessible read. So it's all about attitude and and trying to, um, you know, we talk about variety of work. We, We want to make ourselves available to as much work as possible. So you kind of learn how to. Change your voice and your and your edits, but you're
0: not you're not really doing, really doing like voices necessarily. It's no. more just kind of like changing. It's, <clears throat> it's 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 interesting, just noticing, like the people around you, how differently they talk to different people. Mm-hmm. Like your voice that you use when you answer the phone is is different than the voice you use talking to somebody, and yeah, yeah. you know especially like when you live with somebody and you realize like, Oh, this is a voice they use when this is happening. Or mm-hmm. I can tell you were talking to so-and-so on the phone because your voice was like this. I knew that right. was a business call or I knew this was, you know what right. I
1: mean? Like people do it. Mm-hmm. And that's all in like uh, projection, how loudly or quietly you speak. Um, your register, whether you're talking way up here or whether you're way down here, you know, um, and energy level, how much you're actually putting into it. Um, uh, that. You know, as we go through our life, we change the way we talk to everybody, like you said. And uh, that's reflected in, in the production of, of a demo like that. Um, all, again, all in the, in the pursuit of, of as much work as possible.
0: When you were writing this book, how did, how did you make sure that the things you were talking about weren't just specific to you? You know, I mean, how did you make sure that the, um, experiences you describe were typical of things that everyone yeah. was going to experience? Or like, for example, I would imagine there are probably, uh, unique things that a female might encounter that maybe you wouldn't have even thought of. Right. So
1: how did you, so I just talked that? to a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I just talked to a lot of people. Um, You know, when I got the idea for the book, I started talking just to students in in class just to get their idea of what they would want in the book. And then once I kind of got the idea of of what I was going to do, then it became, you know, okay, this could be a book about me, and that would be really lame and really boring. Um, So it needs to be, uh, like you said, a very broad, it has to have a broad audience. And, you know, so I kept the stories that... I personally lived through, um, and, uh, and experienced, I brought them up when they were relevant to whatever subject was, was coming up, but there's also stories, um, of other people in the book. And I just talked, I just talked to a lot of, I I talked to girls actually, because I, you know, they audition for different stuff than I do. They, um, have, uh, they go through different experiences that me as a guy, I just wouldn't go through. Um, so it, it was just it just became important to to make sure that like I was separated from the content unless I could contribute something, and if I couldn't contribute something from my past, then I'd bring in somebody else. so hopefully it works.
0: I think it does I just <laughs> <laughs> um, At one point in the book you say if you're a professional actor, you have to manage your career or it will manage you. Yeah. Can you expand on that a little bit?
1: Yeah. Um, you have to make decisions, uh, and then you have to go after them a hundred percent because I see a lot of, there are a lot of actors out there who for whatever reason make decisions and then don't really seem to follow up on them. Um, developing an acting career in this market can be a very long process. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, And I can't tell you how many people have told me, you know, man, that ear prompter thing, uh, I've been wanting to do that for years. And you can make good money at that, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah. You can make really, really good money at it. Uh, And yet they've never taken a class. They've never bought a system. They've never pursued it. So I'm a big believer in, in, If you want something to happen, you have to make it happen. It's not going to happen for you. And I think I'm a big believer in that because I really did believe when I was young that if I got an agent, that agent would just get me work. And then I believed that once I went through all the work that that agent had, I would just get a better agent and then I'd get better work. And on and on and on until I was famous. That's really how I thought it would work. Mm -hmm. And um, it took me a couple of years to realize that Hmm, if I sit on my butt and don't do anything, nothing is going to happen. Uh, So if you don't manage your career, if you don't make choices that you believe are the best ones for you, and then do whatever you need to do in order to make those decisions work for you in the best way possible, um, you're just going to be sitting around waiting for something to happen. And I'm going to take your job is what's going to happen.
0: Right. I mean, we can tell that you have these personality traits because besides actually having a career acting, you wrote the book and (laughs) and writing a book is something that requires those same sorts of disciplines and and drives. And, um, I kind of like to get back to that a little bit of like what the process of writing the book was like Mm -hmm. and just how you even tackled it.
1: Um, I mean, you yeah. talked
0: about like what your inspiration was for writing the book, but then, right? How did you get
1: started? I, you know, I probably started this book three times uh, over the past maybe three or four years, um, and I, I would get a little further each time, and then I would just kind of like get stuck and uh, put it down. And you get a little
0: further, like you were starting at page one and like writing.
1: Yeah, I, I really did. I wrote um, the the first chapter in the book actually. Uh, the bones of it were written probably a good three or four years ago and it's, it's changed a lot since that first draft, but, um, uh, I, I knew I had a starting point. I knew I, I wanted to start with a little background. I had to set up the book and, and tell the reader at least a little bit about me so that I could have a little credibility. Um, so I set a little bit of, of that up and then, um, I, I figured I would just follow this format of, you know, this is what I'm going to tell you about. And then I'm going to tell you. And then again, this is what I'm going to tell you about. And then I tell you. So the process of writing the book was very, was, was really slow, especially in the beginning. It was fits and starts. Um, and, uh, and you had the time in between the I had, acting. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing. Like if I got really busy, You know, I wouldn't do anything on the book for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. And then, like, it seemed like every summer I would always start writing because there's always, like, this weird month in the summertime where I'm just dead. I have no work. And I I never know if it's going to be June, July, or August, but I always know that there's a month where I've got...
0: Why does that happen?
1: I think it's seasonal. Um, You know, I I think everybody goes on vacation, and and the business just kind kind of takes a little bit of a collective deep breath and and everyone just kind of relaxes and for me that always translates into three weeks or so where i just don't have anything going on
0: what about like december is december busy usually
1: uh you know what it used to be really quiet in december like between thanksgiving and new year's it was always pretty quiet and uh, now it's i mean i've been crazy busy in december and i can't explain that so trying to use up their budgets for the year yeah they
0: get them again next year yeah i guess
1: (laughs) i mean i think that happens a lot so um, in your
0: downtimes, you'd so work when I, on the book right. but then that made it hard to like have a regular schedule too
1: yeah absolutely and then um, you know I, I, I first started with this sort of freeform thing where I just started at the beginning and then I just would work my way through without really an outline or a plan and I found that that only got me so far um, so I then sat down and wrote the table of contents and said to myself this is these are the chapters and I'm if all I have to do is then write the chapters you know um, once I had that in place, um, and maybe I was—I had written chapters maybe one through four or five at that point. Once I had the rest of them down in terms of just the bones, uh, then it went actually pretty fast. And what would happen is it, within a chapter, I would get going on a topic, and then that would lead me to, to realize that if I was going to talk about this topic, I had to come up with something to uh, talk about a different topic that was sort of related, but possibly tangential, but still important. And, um, there was a lot of that, a lot of, whew, I'm done. Oh wait, no, I'm not. I got to talk about this too because I mentioned it back here.
0: Did you ever consider, um, like you were in a position where you would kind of figured out how to make a living for yourself Mm -hmm. acting. And then you were like, well, I should write this book because there's a lot of things I learned. People were asking me these questions a lot. There's this information I share. But then you're starting a different endeavor, mm-hmm. which is writing a book. Did you ever think about reading a book about how
1: to write a book in order to write your book? How to write a book, yeah. To act? There's a book, actually, I, I, uh, I picked up called, I think it's called Write That Book Already. Mm-hmm. And it was just along those lines, exactly. Like, you've, you've always said you're going to write a book. You've never done it. Shut up and do it. And here's how. You know? And I think I got a lot out of that book.
0: Well, and it's weird because as you're reading that book, you're reading about how to write a book, but you're also reading, like, how to do something. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, and I'm writing a book about how to do something. <laughs> like, there, must, there could have been, like, these weird moments of losing yourself in the... Yeah,
1: well, there were, like, there were weird moments of, okay, I see how that guy, you know, like, plotted out that point, and it made a whole lot of sense to me. I've got a point just like that, yeah. and I, so I'm going to plot mine out just like he did. And it's going to make a lot of sense to the reader. There might have been points
0: where you forgot why you're reading that book.
1: Yeah. Well, and you're reading it for two different things. Right. Two different things at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I I did, I did a lot of that. I did a lot of nonfiction reading, you know, because I wanted to make sure that, you know, the book was readable first of all, and then relevant. Um, second of all. So, um, was there a lot of stuff that you figured out
0: that you knew that you didn't necessarily knew you knew? when you started writing it or things that you connected dots that you didn't, that you hadn't necessarily connected until you were writing it down and trying to explain it to somebody.
1: Probably nothing really stands out, um, that I can use in as, as an example, but I will say that I was continually surprised by the volume of information that's required. In other words, like you, uh, you mentioned unions, the fact that we spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of time in the book talking about unions. And w- as soon as I bring it up, there's, like you said, do I join? How do I join? How much does it cost? When do I join? Uh, what happens if I join and I don't like it? What happens if I want to quit? Uh, you know, all this stuff. Um, you know, what are the all the implications of it? And I really felt like if I was going to bring up the subject of unions, I needed to bring up pretty much everything, you know. Um and so I was constantly adding and that's what really surprised me. Uh and, and it made me realize that I have been doing this a long time and I there are re- there's really a lot of little tiny details that you don't get unless you do it. Um there isn't a class where that you can take that will condense, you know, a ton of years of experience and give you all those little tiny nuggets of information that you kind of don't think you need, but when you need it, it's really important and you're really glad that you, that you knew what you knew. Um, I was, I was very surprised by that. It's just the volume of information that it actually takes to have a really good working knowledge of, of what it's like to be an actor in this market.
0: Mm-hmm. So, well, and an interesting thing about that is that, that knowledge that you have is part of why you can do what you do. I mean, as far as like act professional, I think so. Like if, and you kind of touch on that in regards to the, the union issue of like, um, uh, people that are in unions or who deal with people in unions are maybe expecting a little bit higher level of professionalism because, by the time you're in a union, most of the time you Mm -hmm. have that experience. Right. And, um, it just kind of helps point out about how there's more to it than just, I mean, you don't talk in this book at all about acting
1: really. Right. This is not a, how to, how to act book. Right. This is all the other stuff. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You can learn that somewhere else. Yeah.
0: But to be successful, you have to do the other stuff you, can't.
1: you know what I think it is I, I really think that uh, if you really know how the business works then that gives you a certain level of confidence in not only your ability but your, your ability to be able to make this business work for you and uh, believe me when I say that if you are at an audition and you're there out of desperation because you haven't worked in so long that's going to show up in your audition you can't hide that kind of stuff. And so if you've got a lot of knowledge and you're very confident in just how things work, you're not nervous when you walk onto a TV or film set or, a, or an industrial set uh, or a big commercial set. You know, you know what's expected of you. Um, you know how to make the really fine, tiny little modifications that are being asked of you. Um, and it's just not that big a deal. It's just what you do and um i think that's what experience gave me that allows me to continue earning a living at this um i started out as a really you know shy nervous little kid when i was doing this and a uh, little kid meaning like 22 year old um because i didn't know anything you know and uh when you when you finally do kind of put all the dots together like you said connect all the dots it just it's like, oh, well, this is because I've done everything that I've done. You're right; that helps me to do what I do today, and, and it'll help me do what I do in the future. I, I just, I just think it's um, experience in this business is is huge.
0: You, your story, and I'm going to paraphrase, and then you can correct me. Mm-hmm. Um, you said that you we're a senior at DePaul and you were studying, you were a science major Mm -hmm. and you were going to go into med school. Right. And you saw a brochure for voiceover coaching and you sort of entertained that as like a distraction
1: in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, um, uh, it was something that I was interested in, but, um, I, I never really thought that I would, pursue it in any way. I was, at that point I was really wholly focused on getting into med school. Um, so when it, it came up um, and actually I noticed uh, an ad in a newspaper, I think it was in the reader um, and then I called to get the brochure. So the brochure was mailed to me mm-hmm. and I, I remember I just like, I I just put it away because I, I just, I don't know, it just didn't, it was like intrigue, it was like interesting and intriguing but so I mean, I how to. did you? How did that? How did you even
0: get to that point? Like, were you somebody who was told in the past was, that they yeah. had a good like voice I for was that there? I had
1: yeah. I mean, I had a, uh, a teacher in high school who was like, "Agos, you should be an FM DJ with that voice." And I, I always knew that I wouldn't. I wasn't really interested in doing that, mm-hmm. but I also figured that why. It's, um, I don't know. Didn't care about music enough. <laughs> <laughs> I cared about my music. I just, I I don't know. It just never really appealed to me. I was, I didn't, I didn't want to be the crazy FM DJ guy. You know, it, it just wasn't in me. Yeah. Um, uh, but I knew that there were people out there that made a living and, and like made a career out of just talking for, you know, for commercials. And I was like, well, maybe I could try that, you know? Um, so I, I did and And uh it took me a year. I think I got the brochure, and then I just like put it away, and then I kind of like brought it back out and thought, oh geez i I'm either, i either should either throw this thing out or I should call the guy and and set something up so I called him and and just got started so. and so do you have a degree a college degree? Yeah, yeah, okay, I do. I actually graduated okay,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then that that's the point where you decided. Instead of pursuing like a job in my field, I'm going to try this right. out for a while. I'm going to take a risk and
1: right. So instead of going to med school, I had to talk with my parents and I said I'm going to do this voiceover thing for a while. And I mm-hmm. lined out all of the pros and cons, and they were like, "You know what? Okay, if that's what you want to do."
0: How did you do that's that? Cool.
1: How did I? What were your pros and cons? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I don't remember them specifically, but it was a lot of Uh, you know, if if I'm ever going to try something crazy, I should probably try it now. And it's not like med schools are going to shut down next year. Uh, I can always go back. Um, And it was a a lot along those lines, you know, of, you know, if, if I wanted to do this, um, now's the time because, you know, I'm going to be saddled with debt any minute now, if I go into med school and I'm never going to have the free time or probably the will to, to give this a shot. So,
0: and so, had you ever acted before? Had I did you done a, like stage yeah, stuff or anything. In I did a
1: little in high school. I had done some, you know, some stuff in high school, and I was, uh, uh, I think, uh, I did a, a, a couple of operas um, at at T'Pol where I went to school before the whole voiceover thing came up. Mm-hmm. So I, I had I'd spent a little bit of time on stage, um, and I always really enjoyed it, you know. But it wasn't something you'd ever considered as a career. Oh, no, God. I, no. I mean, first of all, for, to me, actors lived in L.A. They didn't live in Chicago. And actors were either fabulously rich celebrities who lived in L.A. or uh, they were incredibly poor you know, who lived anywhere. And I knew I didn't really want to be either. So mm-hmm. I was like, eh, I'm not going to do that. So I'll kn- be a doctor. You knew you wanted to stay in Chicago? Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, especially at that point in my life, uh, I, was, I was very attached to, to home. I was not interested in leaving, uh, even to the point of uh, I was supposed to go to college in Michigan, and my folks drove me up there, uh, dropped me off, and three days later, I was like, please come get me. I hate this place. <laughs> I don't want to be here. And they did. They kid. They picked me up and and brought me back home. So I was not ready to leave home for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, at that age, and so the idea of leaving Chicago was just not on my radar. So I'm like, I never even thought about being an actor at that age.
0: And were you like very, like, was being in Chicago a lot of that like everything that Chicago has to offer as far as like the city and,
1: you know, I just really didn't see a reason to leave. I I, I just. I liked it here. This was my home. I grew up here. Um, I knew that whatever I wanted to do, whatever I wanted to pursue, I could do it here. I didn't have to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so there was just no reason to to get out of here. Because your goal was not to become famous. No. <laughs> I mean, I thought it might be cool. I thought it, it possibly could happen. But you know, you hear about all the the famous second city actors who go on and to, to fame and fortune and everything. And I thought, wow, if I wind up doing that, that would be okay. But you know, it wasn't long before I realized, Oh, it's, you know, that kind of thing sort of doesn't happen here. You have to be, you have to be geographically somewhere else for that kind of thing to happen. Usually. Right. Yeah. So
0: you started doing the voiceover and then how did that transition into doing the other stuff?
1: Um, I, uh, my first agent actually said, uh, I, I went in to, to meet her and to, you know, sign up and everything. And, um, she kind of looked at me and she was like, you know, do you do on camera work? And I said, I don't really know what that is. And she said, well, <laughs> you know what a camera is, you know, right? <laughs> what a camera is, you're, you know, like commercials and stuff. I'm like, um, do I do that? No, I don't, I, I don't think so. How would I do that? <laughs> And she's like, here. And she gave me the name of of a photographer. She's like, get yourself some headshots. Uh, And then she gave me the name of a school. She's like, go take a a commercial class. And I was like, all right. So I did. And, um, you know, my first headshots were, I got them for 100 bucks, which is incredibly cheap. Um, And I I took my commercial class and just kind of like, wow, I kind of have a knack for this. You know, this is interesting. This is stuff that I didn't know. I could do. Cool. Let's see what else I could do. So it just was, I was doing class after class after class. And, um, me, in the meantime, she was sending me out on, on some auditions and I, I would, you know, occasionally now and then I would book one. Um, and as I, I worked, I just learned more and I talked to more people and learned more and realized, okay, there's this thing called the ear prompter that I should probably learn because I might be able to leverage that into some, you know, some income and, It was always, I was always very conscious of, you know, is what I'm putting my energy in, into, is that going to make me money? Because I did not want to be living with my parents forever. Mm -hmm. Um, And I knew that, that it was very possible to, to act a lot and never make anything. So I quickly figured out the areas of the business that paid and just focused on those. So. Mm
0: -hmm. And so, what about theater
1: theater is awesome i i, I am kind of have a hankering to do a show right now it's been a few years that i've done since i've done one um i uh enjoyed a lot the process is i think can be really grueling and i think that's for me that's really good in like limited quantities um so if if you know, I'm not one of these people that just like adores being on stage and has to do show after show after show. I know plenty of those people, and, and that's fantastic. That works for them. For me, if I have a really good script and a really good role, I'm happy. And it's okay if I don't do another show for a year or two.
0: Mm. So. so earlier you said that you had three goals in life. Yeah. And one of them... Was the writing a book? Uh huh. What you've done? What yes. were
1: the other two? Uh, run a marathon, which is I this. Don't as, anyone, you can do that. I yeah. Well, I've I've done a half. So, uh, so uh, you're halfway there. I'm halfway there, literally. So this October, I've already registered for Chicago. I'm all set. I'm I'm trained and I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the third one is uh, learn how to fly a helicopter. Oh really? Yep.
0: See that one seems a little harder. That one seems tough. Yeah. I mean the marathon, everybody does that, right? Well, I mean, to be fair, I don't think I've ever run more than three miles and that seems like plenty for me <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so i don't want to completely downplay the marathon thing no. but the helicopter is definitely
1: more it's tricky specific yeah Why? where does that come from i you know i don't know where that comes from uh, other than i think like in seventh or eighth grade i think i read a, a book and it was about helicopter pilots in vietnam and for some reason that really stuck with me and i think wow. what stuck with me was the tech the, the technical aspect of it it's a it's a two handed two footed thing that you have to do uh, that uh, the coordination just seems really tricky and you know, has a little danger aspect to it you know and um, I hate turbulence and, and and helicopters are nothing but turbulent it's you claustrophobic know. you're afraid uh, of heights I, I know really the <laughs> whole thing I, I hate heights the whole thing and I, and I just really thought you know at some point I would like to kind of uh, just try that. And, and see what happens. My wife is not real thrilled about that idea. The helicopter thing. Have no. you looked into it? Like I have looked the... into it. I have done exactly what I did with the whole voiceover thing, which is I have gotten the brochure <laughs> and I've put it away.
0: Well, does have you? Do you have a track record of that with lots of different things? <laughs> I
1: don't really, but maybe I should because the whole VO thing turned out okay, and you know, maybe I have a second career. You could be a, a helicopter pilot. As a, as a like, helicopter I would
0: pilot. imagine they make a pretty good. You would think, you know, I think it'd
1: be really cool actually to, to, um, be like a medevac guy, you know, uh, -hmm. flying to the scene of, of remote vehicle accidents and stuff. And that way, a little medical training could, could come into it. I get to, you know, satisfy the, the, the whole medical thing and, and the helicopter thing at the same time.
0: Well, and you mentioned when you're talking about resumes, like listing Little things. Oh my God! How have, cool like, would that be? Oh, and also me. I can fly. Cause, yeah, because you know at some point there's going to be some. Oh yeah. Job. I mean, probably not. But it would be really cool if there. Like, <laughs> if there was for I Chicago would totally Code, they need job. like a guy who can like yeah actually, fly the helicopter and a uh, line when it <laughs> lands or something like that. You're like, I could do
1: that. <laughs> yeah, like, I could totally you know, do that. Like yeah.
0: They got the real guy flying it, but you would know how to sit there
1: for the close up. Uh huh. Absolutely. Like, I would flight. know what switches to flip and when. And why the marathon? Uh, I don't know. It just seems impossible. I mean, I, I, it seemed less, more impossible before I did the half. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it still seems pretty damn hard. What's the hardest part about the half? Um, the training. Uh, no, uh, you know, what's the most, the hardest part for me is mentally. I just so check out. I get so bored mm-hmm. with the up and down motion of running that and, and that, the rhythm of the jarring you know of each step i just get so bored so how do you i cope? I, I i don't <laughs> i don't really i mean like i remember that there was one training run i think that was like a 10 mile run and i think by the end of it i just uh i think i started talking to whoever was next to me because we were running groups and i didn't even know the person i just wanted to talk it's like just get my mind well, can you listen to music or talking? Like- it's really weird. I can't do the iPod thing uh-huh. on long runs because I don't know what it is. It's just, it's too much stimulation, too much music, really? I think. so. It's coming from the ear guy. I know, really. <laughs> like I can do three, four miles with an iPod. That's cool. Uh-huh. But you get beyond that and it's, you know, because I'm slow. I mean, I am not a fast, I run like a 1030 mile. In, 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 so I am not a fast runner. And it that's just, not what the marathon's about. And that's exactly right. <laughs> it's not about time. It's about just finishing without falling over. So uh, that's my goal. Well,
0: thanks for talking to me. Before we finish, mm-hmm. I, I would like, you know, again, the topic of your book is a very... Um, niche. It can be overwhelming oh. is where I was going with it of <laughs> yeah. like, like, I know maybe I want to pursue acting is making a living but how do I even start and like I said I think you do a really good job of like breaking up the information in a way that is easy to digest thank you but could you like what are when a lot of times when you have like a big project or insurmountable task ahead of you mm-hmm. they say break it down into like the first actionable steps so what would be your uh, version of that for people who want to make a career acting and, and again, it's going to be different for everyone probably, yeah. but like other than maybe reading this book, like what would be some of the first things to do? Cause I w- I could see, even if I was, um, going to pursue a career as an actor and I just finished reading this book and I feel like I understand how things work so much better now, but I don't necessarily know what to do
1: tomorrow. Right. So I think, um, Again, it's different for everybody. But if you are uh, in, in a position where you you don't have uh, a lot of training specific to the kind of work that you want to do, if, if if you're a theater actor and you've got a an MFA, by all means, you are trained out the wazoo. Go work. Uh, but if you, I, I think step one, if you want to be competitive in this market, is to get some really solid training in whatever it is that you want to do. Um, wind up. take a class trust your instructor ask a lot of questions because i learned so much in classes i learned more probably on the job than i did in classes just because it's a different kind of learning um but i think step one get yourself into a class whether that means a basic acting 101 class uh if you just do sketch comedy and you've never taken an acting class, take a, take an acting one-on-one class. Um, if you know, you do a lot of theater, but you know that you could be making more money at this, take a commercials class, find out what it's like, uh, to work on camera versus working on a stage. Um, there are many, many differences and there are many similarities, but you have to know, you know, you have to know your way around a camera and a camera set. um, you know, I, I really think that's step one. I really think anybody who tries to do this without any kind of training is just not setting themselves up for success.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. And I, and I think those seven things that you mentioned and like just even being aware of them and, yeah. and, uh, thinking about what of those you might be interested in, is probably a
1: pick a one good entry point too. pick one and go for
0: it. <laughs> um, So how, how can people find your book?
1: Um, did
0: you, you publish this yourself?
1: Yeah, we actually started a little company and, and, and started, uh, published ourselves. It's, uh, available on Amazon. Um, it's also available, uh, at the, at act one, which is a training center here in, in town. Uh, if you're a member of the act one reports, you get a little discount, um, which is, which is nice. um, and the, we're working on, uh, <laughs> we've actually got four universities that are, um, that are adopting the book for, um, uh, for their, their, their like their senior seminars, their, their classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you don't go to those schools, then really, I gotta tell you, Amazon's probably your best bet. Mm-hmm. And there's also
0: a website for the book. Right. You, go you to can Act- get some information. Exactly.
1: You go to acting in com and, and read excerpts and, um, try to figure out if if the book would be a, a good purchase for you
0: and uh if people want to know more about you what's your
1: uh you can visit www.chrisagos.com um agos is spelled a-g-o-s and you can find audio and video and all kinds of stuff there
0: yes uh because you do a lot more than just the the voiceover as we talked about yep there's uh i enjoyed the commercial demo reel as well yeah, that chainsaw spot's good, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I do. There's a yes, there's a chainsaw spot. That there's a chainsaw. I recommend. So, um, <laughs> So yeah, and if you want to know about, more about the podcast, you can go to com. You can find the podcast on iTunes by searching for my name or searching for Let's Get Serious. And I like to um Finish up by letting the guest have the last say of some sort. So, compose hmm. your thoughts, hmm. Chris. What shall I say? This will be an important moment. Uh-huh.
1: Uh... And go. All right. I think that if you have a goal and you know that you are the person, the only person who can possibly make that goal Achievable for yourself, you got to do whatever you can to make it happen because nobody else is going to do it for you.